Has your fuse box gone haywire? Is your water pressure too weak? Or maybe your boiler needs an upgrade? They don't last forever, you know. Well, the good news is that there's a local hero in Dublin for that. So if a block sink is not helping with Wednesday's hump day, take the hassle out of it with localheroes.ie. Our online service connects you with trusted tradespeople in your area and all work comes with a 12-month guarantee backed by Borgosh Energy. Try it out while listening to your podcast. You could get a quote in minutes at localheroes.ie. TNCs apply. Visit localheroes.ie for full details. Back on track with Bobby Care. Thanks to Bank of Ireland. We can, we will begin. Hello and you're very welcome to episode two of Back on Track. Our aim is to find out how businesses have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, how they've adapted and what their outlook is for each sector moving forward. In this episode, we'll be focusing on on the hospitality industry and we've gathered a panel of experts and industry leaders to discuss what's happening. Before I introduce my panel, I'm delighted to be joined by Gerardo Larios Riso. He's the head of hospitality at the Business Bank of Bank of Ireland. Uh, You'll have a good overall impression of how the sector is actually doing. There are clearly some challenges. It's mainly the uncertainties that are actually playing uh, the, the operators at the moment. You know, the, the fact that uh, there's there's no certainty about whether or not the government supports are going to extend until the end of the year. Um, you know, gatherings for, for hotels and uh, the DAT. So there's an awful lot of things that are, um, com- you know, combined with the fact that there's uncertainty about consumer behavior that are just making um, operators a little bit anxious because it's, it's a lot harder to predict how business is going to go and all the things that go with it. Um, so that is what's making it a little bit difficult. That, that The fact that no one can predict how business is going to go, which makes it very difficult to plan ahead. Okay. And if we accept that as a given, that and, and it's a very difficult scenario uh, when the marketplace and indeed the business is so uncertain, but is there a scenario where many hospitality businesses will open just to get open and then find that they can't trade profitable profitably, and then maybe close again. Is that a real danger? Well, that, that could happen. Uh, once, once the government confirms what supports are going to be out there, it would make a lot more business profitable. At the moment, if anybody opens the doors, they have to all the expenses associated with COVID on top of the normal ones, um, and that reduced trade. So whilst there's government supports in place, they will have something to actually you know, take part of the hit uh, associated with the lower levels of trading. But yes, you're right. As the government supports are lifted, um, that could leave some businesses, um, you know, without that subsidy, a little bit more compromised. Um, but I think a lot of them would be adapting um, whilst, whilst um, you know, over the next couple of months, whilst the training wheels are taken off, so to speak. Um, and that would make it a little bit stronger by the time those are taken off. And therefore, they will have more of a chance to survive. Um, as, as I said, at the moment, it's just that uncertainty. Once that is lifted little by little, they'll know exactly how to deal with it. The sector is very resilient and it has adapted before, so I've no doubt that it'll manage to actually adapt again. Um, just in terms of the priorities, and we saw uh, the UK 
uh, plan for business um, uh, unveiled there last week. Uh, Thirty billion uh, being being offered uh, to small and medium sized businesses. Um, if we look at VAT, and you mentioned VAT earlier there, Gerardo, surely that's a little bit of a sideshow. It's actually that the the, the TWSS, the Temporary Wage Subsidy Scheme, is probably much more valuable uh, to operators than a reduction in VAT. In terms of, and I know every, they're obviously going, the, the sector is obviously going to look for everything that one can get. But, you know, if, if money is tight, might they be better focusing in keeping uh, the temporary wage subsidy scheme uh, as opposed to getting a VAT reduction? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. There's no question about it. I mean, if you look at hotels, for example, at the moment, you know, hotels in Dublin City, if they're only selling 20 rooms a night, the VAT element of that is minuscule compared to a, a subsidy scheme of the wages that are actually required to keep the hotel open and clean and disinfected. Uh, and the same applies for restaurants and, and even bars as well. So, so the reality is that, that that subsidy scheme in extension to the end of the year, uh, hopefully, uh, which hopefully will be again announced on Monday, uh, would have much uh, bigger repercussions. So it would be much more beneficial to the sector if yeah. it does get approved. We're also down something like 10, uh, 10 million tourists. Um, and again, a lot of hospitality businesses will be, I suppose, uh, you know, absolutely tourism will be uh, the primary product and the primary marketplace. Without tourists, um, uh, the st- people have talked about the staycation, but, you know, if you're a, a staycationer and you go to a town in the west of Ireland and there's only a couple of pubs open and they're all full, uh, it's not much of a staycation experience. So it, it is important, you know, for the totality of the sector that everybody gets open. Absolutely. Um, it, it is really an ecosystem, uh, the tourism sector is. Um, if you're going to a destination, it's not actually just to stay in the hotel. It's the whole experience, as you rightly said. You need the, the attractions to be open. You need bars and restaurants. Um, and you need little businesses, little shops, because that's the whole appeal. It's the experience, particularly for the new generations, that they really seek that. Um, you know, all those little um, bits that come with the, with the holiday, not just actually traveling and staying in a hotel for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, it needs to be that, that more wholesome experience. Uh, and that's why the whole sector needs to reopen nearly roughly at the same time. And I think that's why the government actually, um, when, when they put forward the opening of phase um, four, um, it, I think it was actually with that in mind, knowing that the whole tourism product needs to be, needs to be opened uh, in tandem. Well, if you're looking then overall at the sector, then looking at the, at, at the uncertainty, as you outlined there, Gerardo, so what, what, what key things... Would you like to see in, in in the in the new stimulus plan brought forward by Leo Varadkar? Uh, well, ideally, I think the, the first thing that you, you're right to mention uh, a second ago is just that, that way subsidy scheme extension to the end of the year. Um, you know that would be a fantastic step. Um, the VAT it would be like probably a secondary thing. It's actually very important as well in the long term. Um, the commercial rates are very important, particularly for the smaller businesses because. They haven't really been able to trade for a long time, so ideally that that uh, moratorium for a longer period of time would be good, and uh, and also clarity in terms of perhaps when would they be lifting the restrictions for the, the gatherings of over a hundred people, because like uh, the, those ecosystems we're talking about, having conferences, having events, that has a much wider impact um, to, to the economy 
if you look at any of the hotels that are in the city center um, here in Dublin, for example, the convention center brings not only people to the convention center, but it's also hotels to bars and restaurants. And without those large events, you actually lose out on all of that economic spread. So um, ideally, clarity on that as well would be, would be phenomenal. And, and finally then, Gerardo, if we look at your own sector, which is lending, um, small businesses, I think that only about 20% of them have actually bank borrowings, according to the Credit Review Office. But they don't necessarily, small businesses don't necessarily like to borrow at a time of crisis. So what would you say to them then in terms of giving some reassurance that borrowing is actually okay at this time? Well, listen, it, it, you're, you're right. I mean, uh, at this particular time, when there's uncertainty, uh, it's, it's very difficult for people to borrow because they don't know exactly at what stage you'll be able to repay. And some of the initial schemes that came up from the government had a repayment term of about three years, which is very hard when you have to repay something that's that. Now, the new uh, credit guarantee scheme, for example, is actually it's a seven-year repayment, so it does allow you that extra time uh, and when people are doing their cash flow planning, it does allow them that extra flexibility. Um, I think it's important to know that those schemes and even normal regular bank lending uh, is, isn't, isn't that onerous in terms of the, the interest rate. And uh, it, it, it does actually, uh, it does merit consideration um, in terms of if you are having problems at the moment, you could um, seek out support in terms of an overdraft facility or in terms of some other temporary thing that might actually just help you um, in the interim while trade regularizes. And as soon as that thing actually comes uh, and you have more clarity of where things are going, then you can uh, talk to your bank um, about perhaps terming out that over a couple of years. And, um, you know, and and that would probably make your life a little bit easier if, if you, if you have the supports now, because I think that uncertainty combined with, with perhaps not enough cash to actually reopen, um, is, is making things difficult for some of the smaller operators. Okay, well, look, we thank you for your expertise, Gerardo. Um, that's Gerardo Larios Riso. He's the head of the hospitality uh, in the business banking section of Bank of Ireland. Thank you very much for joining us, Gerardo. Thank you, Bobby. Okay, thanks. Back on track with Bobby Kerr. Thanks to Bank of Ireland. We can, we will begin. Now, I'm delighted to be joined by Adrian Cummins. He's the CEO of the Restaurants Association of Ireland. Liam Griffin is a hotelier from the Griffin Group down in Wexford. And Pat Crotty is the owner of the Paris, Texas Bar in High Street in Kilkenny. You're all very welcome to the programme. Adrian, can I start with you um, just to give us a kind of a, an overview at this stage? Um, the negotiations with the government, uh, the need for... Uh, I've heard your cries uh, for the need for the VAT reduction. Um, I, could I maybe start by saying that the continuation of the temporary wage support uh, is possibly more important than any reduction in VAT? It's the number one um, item that we are looking for from the government is an extension of the temporary wage sub- supplement scheme. Uh until next year, and uh, what we're hearing from the government, they're looking at in extending, extending it until beyond uh, January of uh, 2021. But also the inclusion of temporary workers that were excluded in it, uh, specifically in tourism and hospitality in regional and rural areas that now are, you know, there's a lot of business out there at the moment from the staycations right around the country, and we need to bring them into the fold also. Um, we've also have 
a call from the government around VAT reduction, uh, commercial rates write off. An issue that specifically for restaurants, because about 90% of them are rented, is around burden sharing with landlords uh, and to come up with a scheme similar to that in the UK where everybody takes a, takes a cut and it helps the business uh, sustain into the future. And then finally is the area of grant aid. Um, it's not more loans that we want, it's grants, because uh, there's legacy debt built up there over since uh, January and February uh, until our businesses closed down in, in, in March, and that needs to be paid off. And what businesses don't want is uh, in, uh, high interest rate loans. They want grant aid to pay off the retrofitting of their business to get them COVID compliant, but also pay off suppliers that have been waiting for a long time now uh, to get paid. And uh, into the into the future, uh, genuine li liquidity into the market that uh, is uh, business friendly. Uh, and uh, that's there the ask that we are looking for from the government. OK. Uh, OK. I want, I want, just before I bring in uh, my other two guests, Pat Crotty and Liam Griffin, just, just, can you give us a kind of a state of the play of the hospitality or indeed the restaurant uh, sector at the moment, Adrian? Like, how bad are things? How many restaurants potentially could close? Well, we've we've engaged our own economists to to do, run the numbers in this, and we uh, anticipate Jim Power. Jim Power and uh, Jim has looked at the numbers, look at what, what you know, we're minus uh, 10 million tourists coming into the country. We have X amount, we have volume of businesses around the country that needs 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 customers to go in their doors to keep them open. So we anticipate that if the government don't step in with the package of measures, an aid package for hospitality, we you will see every second business close down in every village town and city in this country because there won't be enough customers to go around uh, for them to, to be to, to, to stay open but there is a possibility of keeping these businesses they were viable prior to to march of this year the what we need to do is to to help them get through the next six months until next year until we believe that that in 2021 that when we get a proper functioning tourism industry back up on its up on its feet, that is across Europe and everybody's singing off the same hymn sheet, uh, that we will get back to normality. But in order to do, to do that, we need that package of measures and we need it very, very fast okay. from the government. Liam Griffin, um, the hotel sector, again, we're hearing numbers like potentially 180,000 jobs at risk in the sector. You heard Adrian say there that we're minus 10 million tourists how, how bleak is it or or how potentially bad could this be for your sector? Look, this is a nightmare for our sector because we're trading now and we're, we're doing well by in, in a very, very limited space. I mean, well, there's nothing like what well was last year. It's a different well. But what, what I would be concerned about is that there's a second wave could come. That's going to do a massive damage. Uh, obviously, hopefully that will not happen. But in the meantime, costs matter. Uh, and they really matter a lot. And I would concur with Adrian, they have to have a package in place until at least the start of next summer because there's no point in trying to say, oh, great, until October. The, the October, this is going to be the worst autumn of all time because, like, you take a place like Wexford and Kilkenny, like, for, uh, we've got people there. The Cats Laugh is a major festival in Kilkenny. Well, Wexford Opera Festival is a major, a major event in Wexford. So uh, and it's going to be the same around the country. Those autumn uh, uh, functions will not be there. So... You're going to see a very, very uh, a massive loss of jobs through the sector. 
And if those jobs are to be saved, they're going to have to be subsidised right through till next summer. And uh, that's my feeling. And it has to be addressed. And it can't be addressed in the civil service-like way that you apply. And after 14 weeks, you fire the whole up in the bin because you're exasperated. Uh, you know, so it really has to be quick, fast, like they did when we started out. And it has to happen. And we have to get a commitment to it now, to be honest. Okay. Uh, and Liam, you know, when you talk about uh, the hotels that have managed to reopen, um, the sort of trading environment, you know, PPE equipment, all this sterile environment, it, it, it probably doesn't really sit well with how hospitality works. So, no, so it's, actually, it's actually contradictory, to be honest. But, but I'm pleased to say that uh, I'm in and out now and I've been at the ferry car, I've in the gym, I've been in the restaurant, I've done all the things that a customer would do. And I'm actually amazed by the level of acceptance by the customers. Uh, there's a great acceptance to, to it. And I, I would have thought that you were dealing with the same customer. You're actually not dealing with the same customer anymore. He knows and he understands. And safety is, is number one. And safety is our number one because we've got our own families that are part of our own family because uh, they're working with us for years. And we've got our customers. And safety matters. And we need to be very diligent about that. So we've taken no shortcuts and no shortcuts. And I'm pleased to say we had an inspection last week in Kilkenny and we came out, uh, you know, really well. Uh, we were highly complimentary that we were well, well on top of it. And so we should be. That's our responsibility. Let's, let's bring in our third guest now, who's Pat Crotty, owner of Paris, Texas Bar and High Street in Kilkenny. Now, um, just maybe give us a kind of an overview, if you would, Pat. Uh, pubs, almost a two-tier system, ones with food, ones without uh, we, we still wait eagerly to see what happens uh, for the non-food pubs. But, you know, one of the great mysteries is what a consumer spending nine euros uh, enjoying a drink, in order, the relevance of that. It's difficult for Joe Public to understand, you know, if he doesn't have food, how it, 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 it affects the pandemic, or indeed if he stays for two hours instead of an hour and 45 so, in in terms of the selling the new way to the to the, the consumer, how challenging has that been? Um, it has been uh, on the one level, on the decision making level, Bobby. It was actually very silly, um, because in effect, the government decided that restaurants could reopen, and a pub that sells food and drink is the very same as a restaurant that sells food and drink, where they are food driven. But there are pubs that maybe do a sandwich at lunchtime and a bowl of soup. And they said, well, we're getting on this bandwagon too. So government had to come up with some narrative, some method of actually determining whether you were a restaurant or not. It was really silly. What they should have done to me is to set out the conditions that would be safe for being in a place that sells food or drink. And if you meet the conditions, you can open. And if you don't meet the conditions, you can't until the next phase, which is what's coming now. Now we're in the position that you have people, some people, as Liam says, doing it really well, others not so well, and you have others sitting on their hands wondering if and when they'll be let open at all. It was, it was just bad, bad process of decision-making to me. And we see as well that there, you know, and I know there are rogue operators in every business, Pat, but, you know, there's 26 prosecutions pending now for people who haven't complied with the law. And again, I, I saw firsthand... Uh, some horrific scenes here in Dublin City uh, around, uh, you know, publicans just not doing their piece. 
Yeah, and and uh, Bobby, I have no sympathy at all for them, because not only are they putting the health of their own families, their own staff, and their own customers at risk, but they're actually putting the whole process at risk. If we, if as Liam mentioned, that we ended up with a second wave because of of people not sticking with the program that has done us so well this far. Um, there, there, there's a huge amount at stake here, and all it took was for people to to be a small bit sensible. Like we had those people were trying to recover in a couple of weekends what we lost in 15 weeks. This is not a sprint. It's going to be a marathon that is going to go all the way through, at least the way through next year, before we can find our way back to some sort of normality. So, Pat, you're open now. And again, what sort of, I suppose, what are the sort of day-to-day challenges of operating a business sort of post-COVID? Tell us about your everyday now. Yeah, well, my everyday, Bobby, the very first day, it was like the very first day we ever opened. You're there with your, your heart in your mouth wondering, will anyone come in the door at all? And if they do, will they like what we've done and how we have done it? And uh, it was literally that kind of, of nervous anticipation. And for us, thanks be to God, it has worked out very well. Um, people seem to like it. Our, our uh, booking system uh, uh, prompts res- uh, reviews after the fact, and they have been fantastic in in uh, complimenting our staff, our process, our food, the whole thing. So we have, hopefully we have got a number of things right. But it's still, you're still only as good as your last meal and your last service. So it's, it's, it's an everyday process of literally and metaphorically hand-holding your customer through how we're going to make sure they have a nice experience. And if you give them that confidence that they're safe and that everything else is going to be a good experience, uh, we find they're, they're enjoying it. And if you look, Pat, and maybe you haven't had a chance to do this yet, because I know the the main focus is to get open and get open safely. But if you look at the financial implications of increased costs, reduced capacity, you know, is there a danger that many pubs may not be able to operate profitably? Um, you can sing it, Bobby, because, uh, and I have had time to look at it. That, that's my end of the business is making sure we have a business and, uh, I mean, we, we have had 15 weeks of, of a slow bleed. You turn off the tap as much as you can, but you can't turn everything off. And uh, so we've had a slow bleed. Now we're open again, and you have the tap is fully open. All your costs are back in play, and uh, you're doing it at reduced, reduced capacity, reduced turnover by, by direction of the government. And uh, we also have the time bomb of warehoused tax uh, PAYE and, and BAT and we have a lot of suppliers who didn't get paid in March so every business is going to have the same thing that there is a time bomb there and as Adrian said that unless uh, there is some kind of easy access to, to finance whether it is very low interest rate refinance or grants or both then they literally are kicking the can down the road that instead of having a lot of businesses not opening now you'll find that when the clock runs out on their revenue uh, uh, holiday that they'll all just close then. Back on track with Bobby Care. Thanks to Bank of Ireland. We can, we will begin. Uh, okay, this is Back on Track. Uh, my guests are Adrian Cummins, CEO of the Restaurant Association of Ireland, Liam Griffin, hotelier with the Griffin Group, and Pat Crotty from Paris, Texas, in Kilkenny. Liam, can I go back to you for a second? Um, and I know that there's been a great emphasis put on the staycation market and I'm no doubt uh, the Griffin Group are trying to get as many staycationers as possible. But 
I heard last week about an experience in Dingle, and not using Dingle, but by way of example, uh, where, you know, some of the pubs, only a few of the pubs maybe were open. All these staycationers arrived to town and the pubs are all full and the accommodation, whatever is open, is full. So, hence, a, a very frustrating staycation experience. That's not what we want, is it? Absolutely, totally not what we want. We are living in difficult times. And, uh, like, it's not a question. Uh, Pat put it very well, what you said there, and Adrian, earlier. This is, this is now, uh, you've been given a commando course as, as a business. And you're told, plot your way to the very end of it, right? Now, if we don't get support through that, there's absolutely no question that this thing is going to be like a domino effect. You're going to wind up breaking more businesses to the state themselves if they don't do it. So I think if you put Jim Power on the job, if you put, I don't care who you put on the job on the economic side, if they look at it, I think they'll tell them very quickly that either they do that and cut their losses or they don't. And if they don't do that, I think you're going to see a lot of hotels and a lot of restaurants closing down. Now we wind up with a whole set of new problems. All these places all over rural Ireland uh, and they close down. And the problem is, of course, this is, this is a legacy issue for us. The VAT rate went up last year, which was insane. And I wrote about that to ministers everywhere. But really, the insanity is not uh, the rate to put it up. The insanity is it's that they don't know what they're doing. And that's the worrying thing. But and the big worry for me is we haven't even, we've appointed a minister for tourism and uh, the best of luck, but an inexperienced person and about six more, uh, four more briefs to carry. So therefore, if we're serious, we, need a, we needed a minister for tourism. Now that, that's Sloan. But that was an absolute, for, for the industry of this size, that's absolutely imperative that they did that. So will we have so focus on tourism? Because if we don't, tourism will drift. And that's what happened during the last couple of governments, where tourism, Michael Noonan, in fairness, helped greatly. Then we came along and became Dublin-centric, and we appealed to lobby groups to fire up the, the VAT, and I'd love to see what the returns are at the end of 2019. So, Liam, can I, just, can I just say two one. things to you about VAT, right? Mm. Uh, the first one is, if, if the hospitality business is on the floor, yeah. the VAT take is going to be significantly down, yeah. So any concession around that is not going to be material. That's my first point. Yeah, no, I accept that. The second, that, that board is flown. The second point is that a cut in VAT, say from 13.5% to 5%, translates into about a 7% reduction in the price of a meal. Again, not a game changer. Yeah, yeah. No, I accept that. I accept that. I'm talking historically. I'm just saying the total, the total take and the total understanding of the industry was borne out by that fact last year. It needed to go up last year because we hadn't been competitive. Don't forget, Bobby, everyone seems to forget, during the crash, we were non-competitive as a, as a tourism destination. We were, not, we were not competitive. I was saying that myself on radios. It's not, we're, we're, they're, they're putting things like on rural Ireland, particularly rates and all of those things, and they're all adding up to making non-competitive. So we became competitive, and the point is we better not go back there again. So that really is not a big issue in terms of uh, its impact. The biggest issue is wages, and yeah. the biggest issue is losing staff and costs. They are the big issues that we could try to control. And if the costs are going to keep escalating, business are going to go over the top, and nothing will matter because a lot of things will slow. So my point is, we definitely need that wage subsidy right up till next summer, and and it needs to be maturely done, like it was done with the COVID at the start, and it needs to be looked at. 
they made a few mistakes, but better make mistakes than close half the place. So that is imperative that that is done, in my opinion. Yeah. That is way back secondary, but at the same time, it was part of a suggestion, not by me. Adrian, you, you've heard Liam and you've heard Pat there. Um, clearly, there are massive financial challenges for any operator in the food and hospitality business. There's probably dark clouds and they're definitely in the horizon for the next six to eight months for our industry. And as the cliche goes, we're all in this together. Um, the the issue around the, that burden sharing needs to be part of part and parcel into the future where the banks were bailed out to the by the Irish people to about the tune of 65 billion euros. And I think they need to step up to the plate now to give struggling business owners right across the industry, right across, right across the country, specifically in hospitality, some sort of leniency for the next 12 to 18 months. Adrian, can I uh, just ask you about the insurance industry? Mm. Did, did they let you down? Absolutely. Um, we shouldn't forget that when businesses look, went and looked for their uh, their uh, business disruption cover, they were told where to go. And obviously some businesses now have had to go to the courts to to find uh, solace there and they shouldn't have had to. And, you know, I can't understand why uh, the government just didn't bring them in and just tell them this needs to happen. They need to be paid out, those that uh, deserve to be paid out and stop dragging struggling business owners through a courts process that they they don't have to have the money to do that. So, like, uh, you know, this is, you know, one of the scandals of the COVID crisis from a business perspective. And there will more than likely there will be uh, a, a review into it and how it came about. But like when you're looking for when you pay your insurance and you've been paying it for years and you expect to, to get cover, you should get your cover at the end of the day. And uh, I've, I've I've said this before. Uh, the insurance industry are trying to um, run people into the ground, make it so difficult to get their to get their business disruption cover paid, and they know that these businesses are struggling at the moment, and they're 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 using them as uh, you know they're like vultures over a carcass at the moment, and that's where we we see that this is wrong, and we're all in we're all working together in the hospitality industry to take them on. Uh, it's good to see, and we have the Alliance for Insurance Reform that we all are under the one umbrella on on this issue. So, effectively, okay. hopefully, we can see uh, see it, it being rectified sooner rather than later. Uh, Pat Pat Crotty from Paris, Texas. Uh, you mentioned earlier about the uh, the new economics of your business, um, and Liam mentioned there about competitiveness and staying competitive. Is it not inevitable that? you know, to, to continue trading when all this settles down, Pat, that we could be looking at an €8 pint or a, a seven fifty nine euro uh, gin and tonic? I, I, I hope not, Bobby. Um, I hope we can get to some stage where we can do enough business. And it's one of the, one of the difficulties. You mentioned about the, the, a batch reduction uh, reducing the cost of a meal. This is not a demand-side issue. Um, it's 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 on, it's a finance issue, and the, the, I, my understanding is the intention of of a VAT reduction is not to reduce the sales price, it's to allow the businesses to build up a cash reserve to pay all those bills that I mentioned earlier that are going to come down the track, because it's 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 a way of getting funds into the business. It's not it's not to to help them on the demand side, because at the minute the government is actually limiting the demand in terms of limiting the number of people who can come in at any one time. 
And I do take your point that, yes, there, there is an inevitability that uh, you're going to have higher prices if you're going to have, um, if you, have you, you add up all your bills and you divide it by the amount of business you can do and it has to add up or you're not a business. So you're correct in the long run. But I would hope that we get to some other solution first, either that, that we, we, we manage to live with this disease or we find a vaccine or whatever. But, but yeah, the, 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 if we don't find any of those things, then the outlook is bleak. Liam, have you any cause for optimism? Um, the Irish people, businesses uh, like yours, have always shown to be very resilient. Many businesses have changed their proposition, some with you know, immense speed. And, you know, I, I think tactically, uh, business will do what business needs to do to survive. Absolutely. And I feel that, like, uh, I have two sons with me, Michael and Matt and me, in our business for a while. But I reckon we've had, we, we, we're kind of the SAS department of uh, the tourism industry. We've been through so many pandemics at this stage. We could nearly, we could nearly create one and we'd try and manage it again. But that's been flippant. I mean, I think we've been resilient, but the, resilience equals hard work. That's what resilience is. You can't just cry. You've got to take your coat off and you've got to just, you've got to just do it. This is a craft industry, and that's what it is. And we need, to, we need to keep our shoulders to the wheel. And there's no point in throwing in the towel. We have to keep fighting. But we have to be given a reasonable chance to fight. And I just want to mention on insurance. I was part of the EY insurance group. In fact, I was chairman of a subcommittee. The judiciary has, has completely let us down. And the judiciary were supposed to have seven judges appointed to relook at the bill of quantum, which is the compensation levels that will be paid out. What's going on in, 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 in the entire with the insurance business? It is well worth your while having a lash at the courts if you're if you're that way inclined to try and get some money, because out of out of a chance in ten, you probably have three to at least four to get something from it, and that is absolutely disgraceful. The way they have not come back yet with all of the talk and all of the you know, up there talk from from the insure, from the from the judiciary and the, and from the the law society and everybody else. We still are awaiting the seven judges. How long does it take? We've a pandemic that we are trying to fight through in this industry, and we're waiting a year and a bit now for this pandemic. Seven judges to come back with a decision as to what bill of quantum should be. It is absolutely disgraceful, and the, the money being dished out to people for fraudulent claims with no jail sentence for the ones that are found. That is an absolute. Yeah, that's been picked out of businesses' pockets and staff's pockets. And then you get people lamenting about jobs being lost. That's a, an absolute massive issue on the insurance side, and okay. that has to be solved. And in the other last thing, Bobby, we definitely need a, a fountainhead for tourism so that they can be held responsible or be given the credit for keeping the whole lot going, because that's what it needs. It needs an overview of the scenario plan, like who, what are we going to be like five years from now? We don't have a minister for tourism that's dedicated for us, one of the biggest industries in the and that is a massive impediment. Okay. Adrian, can I ask you about the, I suppose, the new restaurant? Um, again, taking everything into con- in consideration, social distancing, the experience. Like, will the consumer, in your view, be prepared, I suppose, to long-term put up with all the inconvenience about going out now for a meal, that there's almost so much involved in it, given your name and all the... the, the and again, I, I stress, you know, we have to operate safely, but from a consumer's perspective, the process has become 
largely frustrating. I've been out uh, for two meals since we've reopened on the 29th, Bobby. And what I've seen is I've seen businesses that are able to uh, implement the guidelines. Um, and I'll give you an example. You know, obviously your capacity issue, you've reduced capacity down to roughly 75% of where you were before uh, COVID um, because if you had your, you're down to one metre between tables. That's the one thing that, you know, see if you reduce capacity. Then from a public health point of view, you'll see all the hand sanitizers, and then you'll see the staff wearing the visors and all of that. That's kind of new to the public. And to, speaking to restaurant owners, uh, while it was a trying to get around, not get around, but uh, uh, get comply. to know the comply and get to know the, the guidelines and get used to the guidelines, um, it took a little bit of time, and now they're now they understand them, and now they're able to implement them. Um, and customers have found what we would call they found the level. So customers will find a level where they'll get you know, used to what's going to be in front of them. And then there is businesses out there and they've retained the two meters between their tables uh, because they may have older guests and they see this as an opportunity for them to re- to have a certain cohort of, of, of the markets that want to go to their restaurant and feel extra safe uh, when they go into their into the restaurant. So everybody is, is finding their level. They're fine, they're, they are complying. And I would say that, uh, is that, you know, at some stage we will need to have some sort of an inspection process that has a, everybody's playing off the same same rule book and every, there's a, a level playing field for everybody. It can't be just the guards the whole time going in because, to be fair, the guards have other jobs to be doing as well. Yes, they have a job to do specifically around this, but they have other jobs to do as well. But I do feel that once we find, everybody finds their level, and then we find an inspection uh, process that is fair and balanced and okay. we get on, with, get on with our businesses as well. Can I ask you about no-shows, Adrian, just before I bring in Pat and, and Liam yeah. again? Uh, no-shows no has been a scourge for our industry for the last seven years and uh, it's just raised its head again during COVID where customers were you know, booking different premises because they felt that needed to book X, Y, and a Z because they had only 105 minutes in one and they wanted to go to another place for 105 and all of that, that type of nonsense and then didn't turn up. So every time a customer doesn't turn up, it's a lost sale, it's a lost seat and it's revenue and it puts revenue gone for the business. And then effectively down the road, if they have a buildup of no-shows, you know, it puts staff jobs at risk and the business is at risk long-term. Surely so the tolerance of- though for no-shows, you know, with the new scenario... Where if you're you said it yourself, you know you're you're operating at twenty five percent capacity. So mm. the significance of a no show now is surely far more extreme than it ever was. Absolutely, Bobby. And um, some businesses have implemented their own policy themselves. That's up to them to do whatever they want to do. I can't tell them what to do. But uh, I've actually uh, done. I've written to the minister for business, uh, Tarnish the Leo Riker, to say a code of practice needs to be brought in to so that the business knows what they should do and the customer is very is is it knows what they the the obligations around for them as well so unless we have everybody uh, singing off the same hymn sheet this will continue to uh, pop its head every so often okay pat uh, 
just just uh, I suppose last words for you looking forward then um, tourism Kilkenny again uh, a huge beneficiary uh, of the tourist uh, the, the international tourist to this country will you be able to displace uh, that tourist income with, 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 with indigenous income? Well we're going to have to and uh, it's one of the, the sort of hidden benefits to Kilkenny and Liam will be familiar with it that in Kilkenny, we have always lamented the fact that we depend largely on domestic tourism. We get a much less than you'd imagine share of the international markets coming to Kilkenny. And as a result, that's what we're going to we're going to depend on now, the market that have loved coming to Kilkenny anyway. Dublin, Cork, Limerick, the Irish people who, who a lot of people go on holiday. And, and if you go to any of the seaside places between Courtown and Clonay and it's raining or it's miserable, where do, what are we going to do with the family for the day? Kilkenny is an hour away. Uh, we we get a huge amount of that uh, in the course of the summer, and if Irish people are on staycations and we'll get our share of wet days, well then hopefully Kilkenny will get a kick from that. Could I say one thing, Bobby? About, of course. Uh, in support of of Liam, um, if we had a situation where there was a, the, the Department of Agriculture was downgraded to a junior minister, there'd be there'd be protests on the streets, and we're not even sure if we have a minister or someone fully in charge of or focused on tourism. And it's as big as agriculture and possibly bigger in terms of, of, of foreign money brought in here. It's like we have to run our businesses and we have to make, make sense of that. But government has to provide the environment within which we operate. And so we have to have insurance reform. We have to have the, the banks sorted out. Like I, the, the government are complicit in the cost of money to me. They're allowing the banks to take a much higher margin on funds than other European banks do, even though we know we can get money into the country for nearly a negative interest rate. Like, those kinds of things have to be sorted by government. Yeah. And then we can run our business. Uh, Liam, y- your final thoughts, if you would. It would be that I would appeal to customers that are going to frequent restaurants and hotels to support the people who are doing it right. I mean, if you're going to support people who are doing it wrong, you're marginalising still further the people who are doing it really well. And that is absolutely, they can vote with their feet, but if it's not being done right, it's not being done right, and therefore they're a threat to everybody. That's, that's a very big issue at the moment, and especially crazy publicans who think they can, well, or, or hoteliers who can do some things and really yeah. flout the law. That's, just got, that's going to destroy everything. And th- th- things, are, things like, you know, selling draft beer to take out and stuff mm. is only going to lead to problems, surely. Yes, and, uh, and I, I saw myself somebody the other day where somebody had sent a text to some uh, regular customers to say the three pints for 30, 12 euros uh, and you don't have to eat. And yeah. imagine that's being sent out, a blanket to customers. And <laughs> just insane. That's so, disgraceful. So that, that, that's, that's, that's disgraceful. And they deserve, they, deserve to get the, they deserve to get every wrap in the place. But that's the cute tourism syndrome that sneaks in and we can't allow that to happen. But the other thing is that from, from our perspective, I can't emphasise it enough, costs are the big issue for us now. And if we want to leak wages out the back door, you leave it there without, without keeping the, the, the COVID system going till next summer. That's where it's going to happen. So you've got a choice here. You have people going, going on social welfare out of their jobs, or you can subsidise and keep people in employment, and it should be a lesser sum. And as I just want to just reiterate what Pat said there. Yes, I'm positive into the future. This is a great industry. This is one of the great industries of the world, and we do it very well. 
in my lifetime, we have absolutely come on millions of miles in our, in, in our lifetime. We've done a great job. Badly managed by the state for many, many years. Very badly managed. We might as well call it out. Either manage this industry or forget about it. And we, then we all know where we're fixed. But we're all sitting here waiting for somebody to come along and really get it under control. And that is so important. That That's the structure of the business model that, that, that we need for, 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 for success in the future. But I'd be looking forward to it. And hopefully we can see some light at the end of the tunnel. And all I know is that the likes of... Uh, the restaurants and people, the serious people like Pat and everybody else and good hoteliers, we're all, we're all working way beyond the call of duty and so are our staff. So we're prepared to put our shoulders to the wheel, but we okay. need somebody behind us pushing us from behind. All right. Well, listen, uh, I, I thank all three of you uh, for, for uh, amazing contributions. Uh, Adrian Cummins, the CEO of the Restaurant Association. Liam Griffin uh, with the Griffin Group and Pat Crotty from Paris, Texas in High Street in Kilkenny. Thank you so much. Uh, for your wisdom and for your words. And I wish you all every success with your business. Thank you, Robbie. Has your fuse box gone haywire? Is your water pressure too weak? Or maybe your boiler needs an upgrade? They don't last forever, you know. Well, the good news is that there's a local hero in Dublin for that. So if a block sink is not helping with Wednesday's hump day, take the hassle out of it with localheroes.ie. Our online service connects you with trusted tradespeople in your area and all work comes with a 12-month guarantee backed by Borgosh Energy. Try it out while listening to your podcast. You could get a quote in minutes at localheroes.ie. DNCs apply. Visit localheroes.ie for full details.